Welcome to the BJSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. Rich Willey about iliotibial band pain. Dr. Willey is an assistant professor at the School of Physical Therapy at the University of Montana in the USA. He received his PhD in biomechanics and is considered one of the world's leading experts in running injuries. Alongside his own research, Dr. Willey has been a clinician for over 18 years, specializing in the treatment of the injured runner. Dr. Willey, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Daniel. I'm excited to be here. I'd like to start today by diving straight into a bit of a clinical scenario. A 25-year-old woman has recently started training for her first marathon. When she increased her typical running distance from 10 to 18 kilometers, she started getting lateral knee pain and tightness. It occurs at the same distance each time she runs and is worse when she runs downhill. Rich, what is going on here? Well, you know, she's complaining of lateral knee pain. And uh, the nice thing about lateral knee pain is that there aren't really a lot of structures in the lateral aspect of the knee for us to rule out. And typically, the most common injury that's going to be there in runners is going to be iliotibial band pain. But there are some other injuries that we want to make sure that we rule out, uh, particularly because she's a marathoner, she's female. Uh, we want to make sure that we rule out injuries such as ephemeral stress fracture. We also want to consider patellofemoral pain and gluteal tendinopathy and also any referrals from the lumbar spine. But yeah, pretty much when we're looking at injuries such as this, I mean, this is a runner who has increased her running distance very quickly. And you know, one of the hallmark signs of iliotibial band pain is pain when you run downhill pain when you increase your running distance too much when you know particularly particularly when someone is uh, training for a large event they're often going to be prone to train uh, train too much who in particular develops ITB pain well this case is a little bit unusual because you know most runners who get IT band pain are actually male but certainly female runners get IT band pain um, we you know we typically see them uh, in newer runners uh, so more novice and you know, particularly runners who are trying to increase their running volume too quickly. Uh, we also see IT band pain uh, a lot in trail runners, uh, and there's some very specific reasons for that, um, particularly because they end up running downhill a lot. What are some of those other specific reasons? Yeah, so one of the things when, when you look at really any running injury, you know, any, any running injury is basically a training load error. And when, when you think about IT band pain, you know, we've got the, the training error, and that's that the runner increased their running distance a little bit too quickly. But certain running biomechanics can result in loading that IT band more so than other structures. And, and in this case, when we think about, like, you know, a trail runner, you know, adopting a, a kind of a narrow step width increases the strain and the iliotibial band, and that can increase compression in the lateral aspect of the knee. Uh, and because trail runners, for instance, do a lot of downhill running, and they also do a lot of downhill running on trails, uh, they're going to be particularly prone to this type of injury. Is this particular injury a friction injury? Yeah, a lot of times you hear IT band pain called a, called a friction injury, but really when you look at the, the cadaveric studies uh, that are looking at the IT band, what ends up happening really is that it's a compression injury. And what happens is the knee moves from flexion to an extended position, we basically get an increase in the amount of compression over on the lateral aspect of the knee. So it's not really so much the IT band that is our, our kind of our, our source of nociception, but it's more so the underlying uh, highly innervated adipose tissue that's um, around the, the supracondylar region. 
And so what happens is that that the knee moves from flexion to extension, and we get like an increased kind of ripple of ty- of uh, tautness that's occurring through there. So the um, the IT band is actually tethered really quite well to the femur. So this idea that it kind of flips back and forth across the the lateral femoral condyle uh, is 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 not really a reality. And so so I think it's really important, you know, not just from a semantic standpoint, but also from a clinical standpoint, for us to not consider it to be a friction injury, uh, but for us to consider it to be more of a compression type injury, because some of the treatments that you'll see kind of recommended, particularly if you're looking for like quick fixes for your lateral knee pain online, would be things like foam rolling or some soft tissue work. And, you know, since it's already a compression injury, it doesn't make a lot of sense to introduce more compression to that region. What other misconceptions exist about ITB pain? Yeah, one of those would be that uh, it's the result of of IT band tightness. And, you know, we know that that's probably not the case. We kind of actually really need to have an IT band that has some tension in it and has and has some tightness to it because the IT band serves a really important role. And that is to store and release energy when we're running. So if we have an IT band that is, you know, let's say that we could stretch it out, it would kind of defeat the purpose of, of that structure. It also really resists kind of a varus torque on the knee, so a, a, the type of torque that would kind of thrust your knee laterally, and that plays a really important role when it comes to kind of reinforcing the, the structure of the, of the femur. So it, it's not really, it's not a structure that gets tight per se, and so uh, I say that because, you know, stretching it is not necessarily going to make this injury uh, any better. And we really need to probably be looking at kind of replicating some of the functions of the IT band, which would be, you know, trying to work on some energy storage and release type training, um, you know, particularly once we get to the later stages of rehabilitation for this injury. If we return to focusing on our injured runner, what are you looking for on clinical examination? Are there any specific clinical tests that are really helpful in diagnosing ITB pain? Yeah, I mean, you know, palpation is certainly a key place to start. So we weren't going to spend a lot of time kind of examining the lateral knee. Uh, we really want to make sure, as, as I mentioned earlier, to roll out some other diagnoses. So ruling out patellofemoral pain, I think, is going to be important and, and gluteal tendinopathy. But other than that, you know, there's some... You know, there's some special tests that you often see recommended. And I think the first one maybe to get out of the way is the OBER test. And so the OBER test is a test that's, you know, often recommended to test tightness of the iliotibial band. And as we kind of already mentioned, that that's probably not that, that big of, a, of an issue with this injury. But we also know, too, that when you look at some of the cadaveric studies, that the IT band uh, actually doesn't really contribute that much to a positive OBER test. It's much more so tightness of the of the actual hip capsule or maybe some of the, the hip abductors. So that's probably a test that we're going to kind of probably bypass. The other test that you'll see a lot is the noble compression test, um, which I would say is probably a bit better test for sure. And But, the, you know, with that test, what you do, you basically kind of compress just, a, just proximal to the lateral femoral epicondyle. Uh, and you passively extend the, and flex the knee through that that painful arc of about 30 degrees. And a lot of times you'll kind of feel like a, a little kind of click sensation or might get some reproduction of pain. This is not a very sensitive test in my experience. And so you end up getting a lot of false negatives. And, and so, you know, while I still do that test with my patients, it's not something that I put a lot of stock in. Really, more than anything, with this injury for diagnosing for diagnosing it, it's more of a patient history and you know injury or, or history of that injury. When I'm looking to confirm the injury and, and ruling out ruling out other structures, is there any role for imaging? 
Uh, that's a good question. In the United States, you know, PTs, we don't do a lot of imaging, but we do know that, you know, in the early stages of this injury and certainly um, probably less severe cases, imaging is probably not going to generate a very positive image. So, so again, I think your, your clinical exam is probably going to be your best bet for diagnosing this injury. So we've reached a diagnosis or a provisional diagnosis. And so I'd like to pivot now and shift our focus to the management of this particular patient. How do you approach this patient? Do you have a framework for starting to talk about rehabilitation? Yeah, you know, the, the treatment for this injury really kind of mirrors the treatment that we've seen for lower limb tendinopathies. Uh, and so for me, what I like to do is I like to Kind of split the treatment up into a kind of a pain dominant stage and then a low dominant stage. And I, I want to make sure I give credit to Tom Goom is an excellent PT from the UK who's kind of kind of turned me on to that kind of structure. But but with that, you know, we when we look at the initial stages for the for the pain dominant stage, we really want to encourage this patient to continue to move. This is this is a training load error. And and that's because the patient did too much and exceeded their basically their their load tolerance for that structure. And for the, you know this stage, we really want to keep that patient moving, but at the same time, we want to help them kind of reduce their irritability in that lateral knee. Once we get that taken care of, we want to kind of move on to more of a load dominant stage. Uh, and during the load dominant stage, you know, progressive loading is going to be the key points to try to focus in on, so we can get this patient back to running. Could you talk us through a bit more about the pain-dominant phase versus the low-dominant phase and the stages that you would take your injured running through? Yeah, so we kind of divide up the rehab of ITBN pain into four distinct stages that fall first under a pain-dominant stage and then later into more of a low-dominant stage. During the pain-dominant stage, uh, kind of the hallmark sign for that would be a runner who has pain in the lateral knee when they're walking. Uh, they most likely are getting pain when they're descending steps. And when when you're talking about going down steps, what it's typically going to be, it's going to be that trailing leg. So when that hip is put into a position of hip extension coupled with knee flexion and the uh, hip abductors and the TFL are going to be eccentrically loading and that's going to really result into result in an increase in tension in that IT band. And it's going to result in compression of the lateral knee. So so that's going to be our pain dominant stage. That's how we would define that. And then once that patient is able to descend steps without a reproduction of lateral knee pain, then we can move them into the low dominant stage. One of the things that's super critical throughout the entire rehab process for this injury and, and really for almost any running injury is going to be that we want to keep them moving. And if that patient can run, great. Most likely with this injury, they're not going to be able to, at least in the, in the early stages. And so we want to try to keep up the repetitive loading of their of their lower limbs and one of the best ways to do that is with uphill tread, treadmill walking and, it, and it, for me I'm a real big fan of, of uphill treadmill walking because what it does is that it, it doesn't ask a lot of the IT band when it comes to reduce to reducing that or uh, resisting that that varus torque on the lateral knee we're also not asking that IT band to store a lot of energy and release it as we would if we were walking downhill or running downhill. So typically we'll have that person do a lot of uphill walking on the treadmill and that I think that's that's good for a couple of things. It keeps their load tolerance quite high or relatively high and it also I think is is very good from a from a from a psychological standpoint uh, for someone who's very eager to get back to running. The other thing that's going to be very important during this stage is uh, patient education and talking to them about how important it is to 
kind of progressively return that person back to loading this injured structure, and that includes the whole way through that return to run process. It's important to keep in mind that this this was a, a training error injury, and so the likelihood that this runner is probably going to make that same error again is probably quite high. So we really need to talk about you know best training practices kind of the whole way throughout the rehabilitation process. But during this pain dominant stage, wanna, when we talk about specific exercises, uh, we want to start introducing some early loading to that IT band. Uh, the, the, the thing that is important for clinicians to understand and, and for me to keep in mind as well when I'm, when I'm working with runners is that runners are very fearful of this injury. It's, it it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a very, uh, it can be kind of a very scary injury. It, it kind of seems like it's hard to reproduce and, and so runners will often really avoid loading that knee. And so one of the best exercises is actually the old Thomas test. I think most people are familiar with that. And if you're not, you're lying on the edge of a table on your back and you've got your, uh, in this case, your uninjured leg, you've got that thigh kind of clasped up, up against your chest and you're taking that, your injured leg is flat against the table and you're kind of slowly ex slowly flexing your knee while your hip is in some degree of, of hip extension. And that Thomas uh, exercise, we can just call it that, I'll have runners you know, do 10 to 20 repetitions of that and just kind of slowly kind of work through the range. And by doing that, they're getting some early loading on that structure. The other thing that we see, and, and this is this injury is there's a lot of common ground with patellofemoral pain as well. That when we get this injury, we see a reduction in, in hip strength almost immediately, and so there's some inhibition that's going on there. So I, I like to do a lot of non-weight bearing uh, hip strengthening, focusing on the posterior lateral hip musculature at the, and during this stage. So let's say our injured runner can descend stairs pain-free and therefore can move on to the low-dominant phase. How do you split up the progressions within the secondary phase of rehabilitation? I think it's really instructive to think about the demands that are placed on, on any runner and any structure during running so that we can use them to kind of provide some structure to our, re to our rehabilitation program. So when we run, we typically have high peak loads applied to each structure. Those loads are applied in a, in a very rapid manner. And so we're asking these structures to store and release energy. And then running is, uh, you know, of course, known for its very cumulative nature. And so, you know, if you look at just a typical 40-minute um, run, that runner is probably going to be taking about 7,000 footsteps uh, or foot strikes. And I think a good way to think about foot strikes, we call them, we would consider them to be almost like a loading cycle. So I think if we focus on each one of those individually and in that order, I think we're going to be able to provide a lot of structure for planning our rehabilitation, but also so the runner knows what's coming next. So in that first stage, when we're looking at working on peak loads, uh, and again, this is a runner that has already been loading through doing some posterior lateral hip strengthening and doing some, uh, doing that Thomas exercise. So we're going to just progress that exercise, and we're going to change them up to doing what's called a split squat. So in this in this exercise, the the runner is has uh, standing on one leg, and they've got their trailing leg behind them, resting on a chair and they're gonna do a squat maneuver. And again, kind of calling back on some of the tendinopathy work, uh, we, we like to focus on kind of slow uh, contractions. So we're, you know, typically we'll do a three second lowering phase and a three second uh, raising phase in that exercise. And one of the things that uh, is a little bit different the way we're gonna do this, the split squat exercise is we're gonna ask that runner to place their injured leg behind them 
and they're going to be placing a lot of weight. They're going to try to shift as much of their weight uh, through that trailing leg. So uh, we're actually eccentrically loading that IT band and those the attached musculature. And we'll start off without without much weight initially. Then from there, we'll we'll move to uh, placing that trailing leg on a on a higher surface. So maybe rather than having their foot on a on a chair, have them place that that foot uh, up on a table. And then once they can do that, then we'll progress into adding some dumbbells or some some sort of resistance. And in doing so, we're of course because we're adding more and more load, we're looking to move from doing you know two or three sets of 15 repetitions of this exercise. So we really want to start getting in there and doing some heavy loading on this structure. So we really want to try to get down to uh, four sets of, of six to eight repetitions. Again, very similar to what we would kind of do for, for someone who would have Achilles tendinopathy. So that that split squat exercise is going to be a real key exercise for that person. They should be doing that exercise on, on both legs. Uh, and this exercise, they're going to continue doing it the whole way through their rehabilitation process. When should you include plyometrics in a runner's rehabilitation plan? Yeah, once once we get that runner to the point where they're in that heavy lifting stage, so I would define that as, you know, three to four sets of six to eight repetitions of, you know, with added weight, and that weight should be enough weight that they're struggling to get those last couple repetitions done, and they're able to do that without much discomfort, that's a great time to start progressing them on to plyometrics. And we really want to add the plyometrics because plyometrics are, are great exercises for, for runners to be doing during rehab because they add that energy storage and release component uh, that, we, that is so typical of running, but we don't have that repetitive or cumulative nature of running, you know, that we would typically see if we just had this runner just skip that stage and go right into a return to run program. So for this, because that, that IT band is a major resistor of, of lateral loads on the knee, we want to probably spend a lot of our time with our plyometrics uh, doing some sort of la- some sort of lateral plyometric. For that, I really like uh, lateral skaters, if, if you can kind of imagine like kind of jumping from one leg to the other uh, in, a, in a rapid manner. So they're landing on that on their foot, their injured leg, and then they're jumping back very quickly and we can add some resistance to that exercise, which is where we kind of always want to go with everybody. And we would do that through an elastic band pl- placed around the waist or with a cable column or, or something along those lines. But we really want to be adding some, some weight to this. If you don't have some way to add some resistance to this exercise, you can have the person jump off of a jump off sideways um, off of like a four inch step and then hop back up on there. So they're doing lateral lateral hops up in there. The nice thing about plyometrics is that you, you really can be super creative with this with this exercise. Um, but we, you know, and again, it's just a bridge exercise between our heavy load uh, training and and the return to run process. So we don't want to spend too much time doing those doing those uh, those plyometric exercises before we move on to the return to run process. So when we're in this the, these last stages of the return to run process, we 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 don't want to just you know, let the reins loose on our runner. I, I think it's super important again to kind of keep in mind that this this was a training error uh, injury to begin with. So, and and the runner at the same time is going to be very anxious to get back to running. So, one of the things that I, I think is super critical is for the runner to understand that this is still just a loading exercise. So, running is a loading exercise in and of itself. They should be relying on other forms of cross training to maintain their fitness. And so this stage that can, you know, again, that uphill uh, walking, I think is going to be great. If you increase the treadmill speed uh, and you have the incline high enough, that's going to be a great workout for that runner. Uh, They're not going to be losing a lot of fitness, but 
you know, in the initial stages, we want to keep the, the running pretty boring for them. And we want to use, be very objective. And for me, I like to use uh, an app on their phone and I'll help them install that. And that will help them kind of stay on schedule. It basically is a timer app or like an interval app that will tell them when to walk versus running. And one of the things, there are a couple of things that you can really help ease that return to run process that are going to really kind of temporarily reduce load on that, on the uh, iliotibial band. And one of those is that they can start off their running doing it uphill on a treadmill. And so I think, you know, starting them off maybe perhaps for the first two weeks uh, with the treadmill set at a three to 5% grade uh, is going to be a great way to do that. And again, the reason why we would do that is because it's going to re- really limit the energy storage and release demands on that on that structure. And uh, then over some time, we can kind of slowly lower the grade down. Uh, the other reason why doing the return to run on a treadmill is great is because if your runner gets in trouble, uh, maybe they get some discomfort, uh, they're not stuck five, 10 kilometers from home. They could just step off the treadmill and go finish their workout on a stationary bike. So, so we'll, we'll be very deliberate about that return to run process and we'll, we'll increase it very, uh, very steadily, but uh, also uh, with a mind on not getting an exacerbation. Once we can get that runner running flat, then that's a good time to have that runner transition to running outside. Uh, and again, we want to start off with just some level running. But one of the absolute last things that we really want to be doing uh, with the runner is uh, we really want them to avoid downhill running and we want them to avoid running on trails. And and the last part's important because a lot of runners, when they have an injury, they feel like they need to be running on a soft surface and that's often going to be a trail surface. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to them about how, look, those are probably going to be the last two things you're going to be able to add back in. But the other, the other thing they can be doing too that can really help you know, ease this return to run process is just a small increase in their running cadence. Uh, and, and I find this to be helpful in almost every runner who has, uh, has some sort of IT band pain. And, and for that, we, you know, I, most runners that come into our clinic and our lab have some sort of wearable device, like a GPS watch that, you know, whether the runner realizes it or not, it's, it's tracking their steps, um, which means if it's tracking their steps, it can give them real-time feedback on their running cadence. So I'll have that runner increase their running cadence about 5 to 10% over their preferred running cadence, and they'll, I'll have them use their watch so they can get real-time feedback on that running parameter. Throughout the rehabilitation process, should clinicians be instructing their patients to foam roll or stretch? Yeah, so for me, it's not it's not something that I spend a lot of time with. I mean, I, generally, runners will come in, and some of them have been kind of habitual foam rollers. So I'm not going to sit there and tell them that what they're doing is wrong or that there's any harm in it. But I will ask them to make sure that they're not rolling over the distal third of the femur so they can not compress any structures there that might be irritated. So, you know, I still have, you know, if runners like to foam roll, I tell them to keep doing it. If, you know, if it makes you happy, then, you know, please continue. But it's not going to be a really important part of what we're doing. We know that if you foam roll, that it, while it does increase, um, it does seem to increase flexibility, it only does so on a, on a very short-term basis. And in fact, we lose any gains from using the foam roller in a very, very quick manner and just in a matter of, of, of minutes to, to an hour or so. And the same thing goes for stretching. You know, stretching, I think, and I think maybe the best way to kind of think about stretching is we're, we're not going to be changing the, the length of the IT band just by stretching them. The, the overall loads on that structure are so small when we're doing some sort of stretch. And, and again, if a runner likes to stretch, uh, again, go for it. But I know that 
that's not going to help them get better. What's really going to get them better is by improving their load tolerance. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is through some heavy resistance training and a very gradual return to running. Rich, based on everything we've been talking about today, could you leave our listeners with three clinical takeaways to help manage ITB pain in runners? Number one, this is a training load injury. So patient education is absolutely critical throughout the rehab process. Number two, expanding the patient's load tolerance or at least restoring it is critical and and all parts of our rehabilitation plan should really aim to do that. And number three, the return to run process is absolutely critical that we be very deliberate in our planning. Um, And again, as this is a training load injury, we need to probably place some important constraints on our runner and that would be to avoid downhill running and avoid trail running at least for the time being with a gradual reintroduction of those types of running loads uh, late in the return to run process. Rich, thank you very much for your time today. If our listeners would like to learn more about you or your work, where should they go? Well, we're on uh, we're on Twitter and my Twitter handle is rwilly2003. And I'm also, we also have an Instagram account, which is Montana Running Lab. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast with Dr. Rich Willey. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect through our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BJSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BJSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day. 